0: Hey guys, thanks for joining me for this 64th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include, from The Voice, we've got Rio Doyle. She's from Michigan, a member of Team Legend. Well, from Team Nick, from Wisconsin, we've got Rain Stern. From New Jersey, we've got from Team Legend, Carolina Rial, and from Nashville, from Team Blake, Pete Moreau. We'll also visit with country singer Jeff Carson. Got a new single that's in the top 40, God Save the World. And we'll also visit with best-selling author Kara Ruda. Got a brand new book, The Next Wife, that will be available May 1st. If you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and share with your friends. Now, this is the opinion of one person who's, well, probably 17, so I'm not going to put too much stock in it, but who knows? Someone who recently quit their job at McDonald's got on Reddit to reveal various secrets that most people don't know. And the one that I noticed was that there's a specific day of the week when they claim the food tastes worse. They say that on Sundays, the quality of food tends to suffer because they never have senior management there so people slack off and don't care as much. Now we've seen other people claim that today is the worst day for fast food. They say that Mondays are when employees are most likely to be burned out from the weekend, just like the rest of us. And a lot of restaurants get new shipments on Tuesdays, so on Mondays, some of the ingredients might not be as fresh. We know that the voice coming up tonight and tomorrow night, and from Team Legend, we've got Rio Doyle on the line. And first off, Rio, appreciate you taking some time this morning. Yes, thank you so much for having me here. Now, Rio, tell us what was the what was the motivation to go for the tryout on the Voice this year?
1: Well, you know, I think um, part of fun opportunity. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy to even think about auditioning for the Voice. Um, let alone like you actually be on it and I thought it would just be a fun opportunity and a challenge to myself to see what I'm fully capable of and see how far I can take my goals um, and just to um, prove to myself what I can really do Um, and and, I mean it's also a great learning experience too and I think it's great to just even go to auditions regardless of uh, the result if you get a yes or a no it's a great experience to learn from every single time you audition.
0: Now, what was that audition like? Uh, the The blind audition. How do you prepare yourself mentally for that?
1: <laughs> well, the the blind audition um, was like it was honestly a dream come true, and I think because uh, I have a previous history of trying out for the show several times, um, and as a believer as well, I think this was, you know, God's timing for me. And so, being up on that stage, like I, I was, you know, obviously I felt very nervous and starstruck, and there was a lot of adrenaline going through, but I also kind of felt like this is my moment. I'm meant to be here, you know, regardless of the results, I'm proud of how far I got. Um, and so I cared. Um, and of course, you know, I practiced my song countless times. You know, I have a lot of, like, voice memos of my recording, and um, just really, like, hard work really got me up on that stage.
0: Now, Rio, for you, what uh, what made this year different for you? Did was it maybe your grasp of of, of your overall talents, or or what was it that uh, that you think propelled you through this time around?
1: I think it was just a point in my life where I needed something more, and like I had said, it was just a really a big challenge and a big step for me to take too. As as a junior in high school, this isn't something that. It's is necessarily easy to balance when it's on the schoolwork. <laughs> and so I just, like, um, I had this opportunity, and I just took it. I mean, I'm I'm learning so much from it as an artist and a person, and I just really think it's a great opportunity. And I think that, you know, with, with COVID going on, it couldn't be better for me because I'm doing online schooling, so it's easy for me to travel, and, you know, it was easy for me to disappear for a while because I couldn't tell people I was on the show yet. Um, and it just gave me time to really focus on this and focus on my craft.
0: Now, what, after you build the relationships and the friendships among teammates and what's it like to have to then go face to face in the, in the battle rounds, what is that experience like for you?
1: You know, honestly, it doesn't feel like a battle, especially, um, you know, I was blessed to be uh, paired with Carolina, who's one of my closest friends. And I think our, our mindset throughout the whole show or well, throughout our whole battle process was how can we help each other go further because I knew that I didn't want to see her go home. And of course, you know, you never want to go home yet. You want to keep growing. Um, And so her and I really just wanted to make this a performance to share together um, and have that as a memory. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily a battle to me and um, I don't think it was scary either. I think I felt more safe up on that stage than I did my blind because I was with somebody that I've worked so hard with and with somebody that cares for me. And it's, you know, going for the same thing that I am and that she's very passionate about it. Um, and so I was just very comfortable up on that stage with her and I'm just thankful to have that moment.
0: Now what has been the biggest thing so far, maybe the biggest takeaway that you have so far on the season?
1: Um, I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway would obviously be the family I've created. Um, not only am I surrounded by people who understand my love for music, but I'm also surrounded by, you know, other, other believers. And they, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, regular people and people that share music. And I think music creates such a strong bond. Um, and I feel close to every single one of the contestants this season. Um, as far as, you know, vocally, like, you you know, big takeaways, um, I really learned, um, how to strengthen my, my breath support, um, and to increase my range. Um, and I mean, it really does, uh, you know, practice does make perfect. I mean, nothing is perfect, but I mean, practice really will, will change where you start and where you finish. And I, I think from my blind just to my battle, I've shown so much growth and that's something I'm proud of.
0: And Rio, how much have you had to uh, to rely on your faith, especially in those moments of uh, of questioning? I know you've got to question yourself from time to time, but how much do you have to rely on your faith, especially uh, on the voice and uh, in the midst of all we're living through right now?
1: Well, you know, um, my mom always tells me that no matter you know how far I go, that I'm a winner. Um, and you know I believe that in the sense that God got me here for a reason, and this is my time to learn something. And you know when there's when there's times of you know uh, where I struggle, um, I kind of just i I remember that I'm here for a reason, and he's gonna take me as far as I need to go. Um, and I'm gonna do my best um, to go as far as I need to go. Um, and i mean i've I've really felt supported throughout this whole process, and it's I mean it's been crazy too, but it's it's been a dream come true.
0: That's cool. Now, Rio, if folks want to keep up with everything you've got going social media-wise as the show progresses, where's the best place to keep up with everything?
1: Um, definitely Instagram is the best place to keep up with me. My handle is RioLana.Doyle, um, and you'll see a lot of you know, posts for the show and uh, posts of me and my daily life, and then you're going to see a lot of behind-the-scenes um, with the cast of this season, and I promise you're in for some good laughs because I have some really good photos
0: that are just totally embarrassing and hilarious for the for the cast <laughs> again rio it has been great to visit with you this morning continued success on the voice and hopefully we can catch up again real soon my friend
1: yes thank you so much it was a pleasure
0: to be here Now, was a guy who thinks there's basically nothing more erotic than a bearded lady this is pretty devastating that was tongue-in-cheek by the way Well, according to some beauty experts, more women than ever are shaving their faces. And it's not just to get rid of that gorgeous mustache hair or sexy sideburn. Some dermatologists recommend doing it to help exfoliate the skin. Dr. David Kim is a dermatologist in San Francisco, and he says that shaving your face can accomplish a lot of the same things you'd get from a dermaplaning treatment. Quote, Dermaplaning is when you take a very gentle, blunt scalpel and you scrape over the surface of your skin on the face or anywhere else on the body to gently exfoliate to remove dead skin cells and dirt and oil accumulation. Now There are also some female Instagram influencers pushing face shaving, of course. Now One of them is a woman named Megan Carboni who says she's on a quote, mission to normalize female facial shaving. She's also selling female shaving kits that start at twenty five dollars. Rain Stern from Team Nick, and first off, Rain, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. A hundred percent. Let's do it. <laughs> now, Rain, tell us what was. Uh, where did music first come into your life? Where did uh, did you know that you had a gift and something that you a dream that you had to chase? That's
2: a great question. Um, yes, yes, and yes. I I knew had um a gift basically as soon as I picked up the guitar um, when I was 11 years old I started writing music pretty much immediately um, and I think that the inspiration and love for music um, and born into because when I was very small, uh, five years old, I was already coming home from school saying, hey, I, I know my classmate wearing these tight yoga pants that say tasty on her butt. Don't you think that kind of uh, is uh, encouraging the sexualization of, of young girls, you know? And, and my parents are going, whoa, our kid is aware, uh, like very aware. And, um, and and of course, like music, I've been listening to music as as I think most people have been. Um, at least in the modern area, for uh, my entire life. And um, it's it's always been extremely connected to, but I felt the most connected to it when to say through it or when other people use it to talk about or bring light to an issue or looking inward at yourself and becoming a better person, for example. So, um, I mean, I think that's, Really, my uh both on and off the show with music is to do that
0: now what as you come in for the the blind audition first off, I mean, how did you mentally prepare, and did you get any sleep for the days leading up to the tryout?
2: Yeah, I did. I think blind auditions in in particular um as a voice um employee <laughs> quite literally said, weirdly calm for. I was sitting uh just hanging out, waiting for, for my turn and uh, a voice employee walks up to me and says, Hey, Rain, you good? And I was like, Yeah, I'm I'm great. How are you? And he's like, You're like weirdly calm. Like I've I don't usually see contestants uh, this calm, especially not for blind auditions. And I was like, Well, you know, my how are my nerves going to really serve me in this situation? Um and and what do I ultimately have to be nervous for? Like the worst thing that could happen is I get up there, I sing an off note, and it gets played for millions. <laughs> of America. and I know while that might seem like a terrible, terrifying thing to happen, it's like there's so I'm still so blessed. There's so many other things that that are like, and me being human is not one of them.
0: And have you found the the music as a part being a part of the voice? Are you so overwhelmed with music throughout the day? Has that affected your your songwriting, or maybe has it in maybe inspired you a bit more? The music on the voice. Uh, having to do music so much has me? it has it inspired, or maybe uh, taken away just because of uh, of the intense amount on your schedule.
2: Um, I would say neither. It's um. It hasn't been that intense. I mean, for anybody who's who's a a performer and a a touring musician as your profession, um, this is kind of like nothing. It's it's not that it's not intense or that um, there isn't a lot of work that goes into it, but I mean, we're working on one song at a time, and it's also like a shortened version of the song, and I... Sixty songs on guitar prepare for, you know, another band guitarist couldn't make it. And so I had to fill in. So it's like, that's a lot of pressure. So, but when it comes to songwriting, to be honest, um, I have been inspired maybe by learning some of the things that I do and don't want um, in my life. Changed my music style um, being on the show
0: now what was the what was the battle round like for you on a personal side
2: on a personal side um, i was I was doing all right <laughs> <laughs> I was doing all right uh definitely in the beginning because uh I was like all right i'm I'm not super familiar with this song. It's not really my my kind of route or thing that I would do, um but I'm also not against doing a song like that so And then as the weeks went by, um, I had a tonsil infection. And then I also had two wisdom teeth starting to come in (laughs) about like about two weeks right before we performed our song. And so that was a, I was getting a little bit worse every day performance. And then I started to have those uh, kind of thoughts and feelings creep in. And then it was just a, a challenge of, you're alone in a hotel room. You can't really see anybody or hug anybody because of COVID, and uh, you're not feeling very good. But you're doing COVID tests every day, and you're you're negative for them. So you still just gotta challenge through this, and and you know you know I, I was it was really just a testament to uh, my attitude and my strength and whether or not I could be live towards everybody else around me, even while I was not feeling that great.
0: That's right. Now, Rain, as you continue on on the season, obviously social media, a huge part as we get in the later rounds, always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can keep up with everything you've got going social media wise as well.
2: Me, Rain Stern, R-A-I-N-E, the E is important, <laughs> uh, S-T-E-R-N, Rain Stern on pretty much any social media platform, on lockdown so go ahead and follow me at tiktok instagram i I go live on my instagram stories and i invite you on so uh definitely follow me on that platform for sure
0: there you go well rain it has been great to visit with you this morning continued success on the season and uh hopefully we'll catch up again real soon perfect thank you man now work clothes were already getting more casual before the pandemic And now I'm pretty sure everyone's going to go full-on mutiny if they can't wear flip-flops and sweatpants to the office five days a week. But there's an actual reason for wearing things like suits or at least business casual stuff to work. A new survey asked people if wearing nicer clothes makes them more productive than wearing casual clothes. And 31% of people actually admitted that yeah, they do better work when they're more dressed up. 50% of people say their clothes don't affect their productivity and the rest aren't sure. Now for what it's worth, women say their clothes have a bigger impact on their work than men. 36% of women say dressing in more formal clothes makes them more productive versus just 25% of men. Our next guest, and uh, man, I've told him uh, before we came on the air, been a fan for many years. Glad to have the opportunity. Got a brand new single that's uh, continuing to climb. And uh, with that in mind, Jeff Carson on with us. And Jeff, great to visit with you, brother. Man, Cameron, thank you so much, buddy. Good to talk with you, too. Now, Jeff, tell us about the, the new single, 2020 and all we've been through and how this single has blown up. And did you ever think that you'd have another top 40 in country music? Right?
3: No, man. You know, I walked, I had to walk away from country music, um, about 2005. I just couldn't make it anymore. I couldn't, couldn't make a living that anymore. Had a newborn son and I was stay at home dad for the, his first five years. And I wouldn't trade those years for anything. But uh, about 2008, when he started going to kindergarten, I thought, I got I to gotta get a real job, something I can have a steady paycheck. So as much as I hated and hated to do it, I walked away from the music and um, became a police officer. So after 13 years of being a cop, uh, uh, finally dabbling my toes back into the music again <laughs> and to have something top 40 just beyond anything I could ever imagine.
0: And it grew and grew and grew, and I know they've got an, an alternate version that that has come out, and got uh, Lisa Brokop on that one. And to to hear that added into the original version, Jeff, I mean, for you, that first time you heard it, what was it like?
3: Actually, believe it or not, when you refer to the Lisa Brokop that version. That is the original one. That's the one we recorded while I was on Curb, and uh, I love Lisa's voice. Uh, Actually, I was hired uh, from the songwriter Doug Johnson for that song to go in and sing it as a demo, and idea. You know, that's that's when you go in for the purpose of singing a song that that will be pitched to other artists and hope they get a cut. You know, so I sang the I sang that vocal that you hear with just me and a keyboard player, and uh, later on, without I even knew it, they brought players in and rap tracks all around it and brought Lisa Brokoppi, And She was on Curb Records at the time I was and uh, made a whole song about it. Now, what brought it up this year after 20, I haven't had a single <laughs> out in 21 years or 20 years. So it's crazy. Um, I got with MC1 records uh, less than a year ago, half, about six months ago. And they said, you know what, that song that you had back in the day wasn't released as a single, It's on the album. Uh, it's, it lends itself really to uh the the times we're living in you know and uh thought we'd record it re-record it and put it out and uh, um gotten top 40 and then curb Records came and we've been working with them they put it out and so i'm so excited
0: now how much is uh (laughs) the promotion and the marketing how how different does that look from the last single that you released brother
3: Man, I don't even know how it works anymore. You know,
0: <laughs>
3: Craig <laughs> Powers from over at uh, MCC Curb. It was M- MCG Curb back in the day mm-hmm. I was on it. And uh, I guess they folded that part up and they reopened it. And I think MCG was already taken or something else. But anyway, uh, since Craig Powers is a head honcho over there, every week he's saying, he sends a, a news blast and it has all these – acronyms and numbers and (laughs) and hyphens and i i I have to call somebody every week okay what does all this mean
0: (laughs) now for you what is what has been the biggest blessing of having another single out there and uh, i we we saw the video you tagged us in on uh, whenever it hit the top 40 and i mean is it hard for you to share those kind of videos or or being out of the industry like you have been, does it maybe for you <laughs> feel a little better just to be transparent and uh and are you talking about
3: the one I was in my patrol car yeah. and got a little emotional. Yeah, a little man, emotional. I, I couldn't help it, man. Um it, the the reason I really recorded it was just for myself to you know how on uh social media like Facebook something pops up a year later and keeps reminding you every year. I love that stuff when it pops up and reminds me. I wanted something that would keep popping up that reminded me that you know, 20 years after having anything on the charts, uh, I finally got in the top where I never would have dreamed of what happened. I didn't even I didn't even watch the charts until it was like 50 something. I thought, wow, that'd be really crazy to have a top 40. And so then I started watching every week and it kept climbing and climbing. And uh, yeah, it actually made it up to 35. It's like, man, that's just incredible. Yeah, it wasn't hard to share. In a way, because I just, you know, it just meant so much to me.
0: Now, what has uh, what's this last year been like? I mean, uh, away from doing the music, but as a police officer as well, to to see what folks are going through in the midst of all the craziness in this world.
3: I'm really blessed to live in and work in a small town uh, that I think we probably have. Two hundred and fifty or less sworn officers, it's a smaller town. And uh, the majority of the people that live in the town, I mean, I, when I'm on duty, there's people daily that roll up and say, Hey, we just want to let you know, we, you know, we got your back. We thank you for what you do. And, and that means a lot. I, I tell you, if I was this whole last summer, if I was in some of those larger cities, I'd be fine another job, brother. I <laughs> guarantee I would. Now, what? So my hat's off to those officers who stand out there in that riot gear in the blazing heat all last summer, man, my
0: ass off to them. Now, what has, uh, what has maybe been the biggest eye opener for you after, with the release of the single? Has it maybe reignited a, a, a passion for music or is it just kind of a, a, a one-off if you will?
3: You know, I just wanted, I wanted, I wanted to play music again. Um, I've got about six or eight dates on the books already for the summer. And I'm so excited about that's the only reason I just wanted to get back in it, maybe raise enough awareness to let people know I am still alive <laughs> and would love to go out there and, and play some and uh, got some, some live shows coming up and that's, that's really, that's what, that's what I really wanted to do.
0: Now, how much training have you had to take in social media uh, in the last year? <laughs>
3: you know, I've had, I was on a, a specialized unit where we um, um, kept track of, you know, we had some fictitious uh, fictitious accounts and uh, we had to keep track of social media of different people, kind of intel gathering stuff. So uh, I got kind of pretty versed in it, um, but, not, but not all of them. Every time you turn around, there's another social media platform popped up. I think mostly, I don't even Twitter much. Uh, well, I don't. I, it's pretty much just Facebook and Instagram right now and YouTube. I have my YouTube channel, but
0: uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's changing every day, isn't it? It is. And now being away from music, do you still write songs? Have you still written songs over the the, the past several years?
3: I have not. Uh, I wrote, I wrote one. I've written two songs just since I got with these people and, and got with some other songwriters. Uh, That's more than I've written. I tell you when I, when I say I hung my guitar up, it, I literally didn't take it off the wall. I didn't play. I didn't play any guitar for at least five years. Never, never. I just, I don't know if it was just being depressed with it, the whole music, or just being jealous of the ones who were making it, you know. But, yeah, I just I just hung it up and, uh, um, you know, started to mellow.
0: Now, when you got that feedback, I mean, obviously you weren't necessarily expecting it right away, but as the feedback rolled in and and the lives that you were touching with the song, uh, how, how did that affect you uh, on a personal level?
3: Well, it's just like, it, just like it did on the charts. It's just, it's amazing to me. And, and having, like you said, social media allows people to um, uh, share their stories of how the song meant to them and what it meant to them. And uh, I think that's, that's not having social media back when I was out. I mean, people didn't have, we had flip phones. That was it, man. (laughs) At least it was a step up from the bag phones, but uh, yeah, everybody, uh, it's probably better that everyone didn't have a a, a video recorder back in those days, (laughs) but it is, it is a a more than i I'm just more than happy with uh, the the result of uh, what it's doing and what people are saying and commenting about.
0: Now, you talked about having some live shows coming up. Uh, what was it like? Have you played any live shows since uh, since all this happened?
3: You know, I, I, stuff's popping up in my, my news feed. And uh, I'm looking at about two years ago when I was approached by um, some people up north of Michigan at a uh, casino. said, hey, uh, would you like to come up here and play and maybe just do a – do um, a show just dedicated to Merle Haggard. Heck yeah, I wouldn't have to to rehearse that stuff, you know. Uh, So I did. They had a band up there, and everybody knew the standards, and we played, of course, some of my songs, Not On Your Love, In The Car, Real Life. But, uh, man, just doing those was just, oh, it it felt so good. And that's been about two years ago. And I did a run of those. I did uh, probably six or eight shows for the fraternal order of police. They didn't even know I was a cop, but I, (laughs) I did those, um, and uh, did a lot of shows. Matter of fact, I got a couple of shows in Georgia coming up next month where it's, it's billed as um, Legends of Country Music. So, again, it's just going to be Merle Haggard and George Jones and Willie and Waylon, that kind of stuff, along with some of mine that I, I just love. I'm going to throw some 90s stuff in there from other artists, too.
0: <laughs> now, who are the 90s artists that you've, that you've stayed uh, in contact with over the years?
3: <sighs> Craig Morgan. We, we uh, chat every now and then um um mark wheels and i chat every now and then um daryl singletary and i probably chatted the most um that that's really about it
0: now how much pride do you take looking back at uh, at the music of the 90s and uh the influence that and the part that you played in that uh in that generation of music
3: i love it man i can't I, you know there's um there's there's a few artists out there that kind of, you know, and I wouldn't call 90s country traditional, you know, traditional, in my opinions, is, is the Merle. And, right. And well, and, um, I don't know what that other than just 90s music had a sound of its own. I remember we were called hat acts because everyone <laughs> yeah. everyone wore a cowboy hat, you know. Um, so um, Michael Ray is a, a new artist really doing well. And uh, he always tips his hat to the 90s artists, and we appreciate that. Matter of fact, I've done a couple things live in the last year or so here in around Nashville, and I always hit him up and uh, say, hey, would you like to come out and join me? And He has both times, uh, and uh, singing the, the the second verse of the car with me. So, man, yeah, it's a good punching arm when someone uh, doing so well and that young knows the old guy's stuff, you know? Michael's a good one. He's a good kid. He sure is.
0: Now, what uh, you got? Some shows coming up. What's uh, what's the goal set for uh, for the rest of twenty twenty one?
3: I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, Other than working my other job, forty hours a week, (laughs) 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 Uh, it keeps me busy, man. Uh, You know, especially now. You know, just uh, this next weekend, going to see the Braves play, and so I was going to take a vacation day Saturday, take a vacation, you know, day. Well, you can't because there's not enough officers, you know. So, we've got to do some swapping around with some other officers. So, in their place, I'm working tomorrow instead of to, instead of Wednesday, so I can take Sarah. Now, it's for some reason, there's not a clamoring of people
0: wanting to be cops nowadays. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Now, you mentioned the social media: Instagram, Facebook, probably the most uh, the most active for you.
3: Yeah, Facebook and Instagram, but Facebook probably most. You know, I do a throwback Thursday uh, every week on Thursday. Imagine <laughs> that, and uh, uh, I put that out on 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 those three platforms. That's cool. Well, get a lot get a lot of a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people watching. them. I'm proud of them.
0: That's cool. That's cool stuff. Well, Jeff, it has uh, truly been a privilege to have uh, have some time. I know oh. our our schedules kind of uh, messed up a couple times the last couple of weeks, but we made it happen.
3: Man, and I thank you too. And I know that we were scheduled for tomorrow, and like I said, I have to work tomorrow now to make up for Saturday. So, man,
0: I appreciate you working with me, Cameron. Oh, no worries. And uh, hopefully, Jeff, we can catch up again real soon, brother.
3: I'm looking forward to it, man. You know, I'm from Tulsa, so I miss Oklahoma. I see your Oklahoma Sooners. We used to have one of those Oklahoma Sooners cheerleading doll. You pull the string out, and say, "Boom!" Sooners.
0: <laughs> That's good stuff. I
3: appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, good to see you, Cameron. Thank you, man. Good to see you too.
0: Now, I don't know how fair or scientific this was, but a new study found that the Northeast is full of people who think they're better than me. Now, someone ranked the snobbiest states in America by looking at graduation rates, how many people got their degree in the arts or humanities, how many top-tier universities there are in general, and how much wine people drink. And according to the results, seven of the top ten are in the Northeast. Number one, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Number two, Vermont. Number three, Connecticut. Number four, New York. Number five, New Hampshire. Number six, Rhode Island. Number seven, California. Number eight, Oregon. Number nine, Maine. And number 10, Virginia. Now at the other end of the list, the least snobby or most humble states in America are West Virginia, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Alabama the voice continues on and from team legend saved by team legend carolina real on the line with us this morning and first off carolina appreciate you taking some time to be on the show hello thank you so much for having me now carolina what has this season so far did it live up to expectations of what you had coming in
4: you know coming in i was like i'm going to be in a competition with people who are so so incredible so it's going to be challenging but I mean, it's been very challenging, and I'm just very, very thankful and grateful for it all and to still be around. It's been such a wild experience, but
0: I'm grateful for it all. Talk about a wild experience. What can you equate the blind audition to, to anything that you've done previously?
4: Oh my goodness. I can't even, like, I mean, I grew up very shy, so I was staying at smaller venues, but then when I was 13, I actually started opening up um, a little bit more, and then, by the time I was 15, 16, I think at started. And those two experiences were already mind-blowing. But then The Voice came around, and that was, like, even more mind-blowing. And it's only because the show is so iconic, and I've always looked up to people on The Voice. So to be here now, it's been really, really surreal.
0: Now, I was reading how you started out and dancing and uh, and all of that was a part of your life, but you had a secret love for music. I mean, how long did it take for you to express that love of music and, and also get the get the feedback you were looking for as well?
4: Well, I always really liked dancing because um, I could always be in a group of people and I could always hide myself uh, because I grew up very shy. I didn't want anybody to hear me. I didn't want people to hear me mainly because I didn't want to hear what other people were going to say about me, but it didn't take me re- to realize that that's not what it's about. It's about what I love to do and what I think I would be good at. So to be able to look back now and see people's reactions to both my blind and battle has been really, really incredible and super humbling. me. And just, I'm so grateful for it all to be able to look back and see that now.
0: And you talked about the battle. What? How do you prepare for that? And after you've developed the relationship that you have on the show, how hard is the battle? Or is it one of those things where you just feel like you're just going to do the best possible for both of you?
4: The battle around is definitely the most challenging. Um, and it's mainly somebody, and you want to make sure that you do stand out because you you would love to win your battle. But. You also want to make sure that it sounds great with the other person that you're singing with to the point where you would hope that both of you go through. So I was paired with one of my closest friends on the show, Rio Doyle, and we didn't see any of us going home. So uh, we really wanted to make sure that we we were able to put a duet together that sounded really good together rather than just like solo parts.
0: Now, what have you learned the most that you're going to take uh, as you move forward? Maybe something that you've picked up on the show since you've been on?
4: Definitely. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me has been to keep on going without forgetting who you are in your past because I would not be where I am right now without my family, without the support system from friends, and absolutely not. So I want to be able to keep on going, moving forward in this competition with that in mind always, and never forgetting who I am as a person, where I come from. I think that that's really important, and I I wouldn't want to see anybody forget that moving
0: forward. Now for you, what, uh, how different or how crazy was it going in and finding out that you had the audition in the midst of what all the 2020 and 2021 have become for all of us to know that you had the opportunity to be on The Voice? I mean, what was your uh, original uh, reaction to that?
4: Well, it was very, it was, it was kind of unexpected because I have listened to the show in the past, never gotten to the blind auditions ever, but like I've submitted videos here and there, but this was like the one time that I didn't submit a video or like didn't spam the voice casting with videos. Um, and uh, and then I got reached out to, and, and, it, and I think that that's, um, it's really important to always think like, you know, the biggest things in life. Come when you don't when you least expect them to. So this kind of came out of nowhere, and I was like, Oh my goodness, somebody just contacted me to be on The Voice. <laughs> um, so I took the opportunity, and I'm very very glad that it went well.
0: Now, as you knew, the blind audition was upcoming, and uh, and the possibility of The Voice. How do you prepare yourself in the days leading up?
4: Um, I I would constantly practice. I didn't know what song I was going to be singing yet, so I would just sing random songs in the hopes that. It would be one of them, Um, but it's a lot um, of—you have to be prepared mentally and emotionally as well because it is such a roller coaster of an experience, and you go through a lot, especially me being 17. Um, There's a lot that I have to juggle, but I am very thankful that I've gotten to where I am now, and I wouldn't take back any of it.
0: Now, what has been the best piece of advice that uh, that Coach Legend or maybe one of the mentors have has given you to uh, that you've taken to heart?
4: I actually say this pretty often. I, I think that the biggest piece of advice I learned from John, without him even telling me, is to always be humble. Because whenever you're around John Legend, it doesn't seem like you're around a celebrity. It's like you're around just a regular guy. And just the way that he approaches anything, he approaches it with such humility and has always been super passionate about what he does so i think that's really important moving forward in anything in life to always remember to be humble and and grateful
0: that's right well carolina if folks want to keep up with everything you've got going on as you continue on on the season of the voice where's the best place social media wise to keep up
4: so on instagram you guys can find me at carolina real music also on facebook um also on youtube i'm on tiktok and twitter you can just search my name and
0: Hopefully you'll find me. That's right, well, Carolina, it has been great to have the chance to visit with you this morning. Appreciate the time and hopefully continued success and we can catch up again real soon. Thank you
4: so much for having
0: me. Now here's a study and you're right to be suspicious that it was planted in the media by your significant other because I know I'm suspicious of this. Now doing chores is great for your brain, at least according to a new study out of a Neuroscience Research Center in Toronto. The researchers found that people who do a lot of housework have bigger and stronger brains, which is a key to staying sharp as you get older and even avoiding things like dementia. Now, there are a few theories why. One, when you're doing chores, you're up and moving around, so you're getting some low-intensity aerobic exercise which is good for your heart, and that helps blood flow to your brain. And two, when you're doing housework, your brain is planning and organizing, which is keeping it sharper than just sitting around. From the season of The Voice, as the battle rounds continue from Team Blake, we've got Pete Rowe on the line with us. And first off, Pete, thank you so much for taking the time, brother.
5: Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: Now, now, Pete, what was uh, what was the driving force behind coming back around and uh, retrying music? I mean, uh, I don't know how many others know the story, but you left music kind of uh, for a little bit, but uh, but then came back. Tell us the uh, the inspiration, if you will.
5: Yeah, the driving force to come back, man, is like one. I've always loved music; it's never left me, no matter where I've went. It's inside of me. But later on in life, you know, having children and you know, g- gaining true purpose in my life. You know, I wanted to show my sons that they, you know, you can chase your dreams. You know, you can be responsible and you can go out there and you can, you can chase a dream. And like I said, you can be responsible doing it, but don't ever give up.
0: Now, what was it like for you at the blind audition, uh, getting, getting the chairs turned and, uh, and then what, what was the choice what was the, the, the reasoning behind picking Blake, if you will?
5: You know, being at the Blind Editions, like, it was crazy because, I, you know, I was so focused and I was singing and John Legend turned. I didn't realize it was even him. That's how focused I was. And then when Blake turned, it broke my kind of concentration because I kind of subliminally knew where he, li- he he sat, you know. And my thought process with picking Blake was simply, you know, I, I knew him a long time ago and it kind of felt like this kind of reunion, like a, an old family member that, went off, like, I, I joked and said, like, Cousin Eddie, that went off and uh, came super successful, <laughs> you know? And uh, it was just super, I was just happier, just really, honestly, just to see him. As crazy as that may sound, uh, I, even though I was on this voice stage, and it's the voice, you know? I was more like, just kind of like, Hey, buddy, I haven't seen you in 25 years.
0: (laughs) Having the length of career that you've had around music and being involved in music, I mean, how has that helped you out leading into this season?
5: It's helped me out tremendously being, you know, that I've played music for so long because not only have I played music, I lived in Nashville for 25 years. So all my friends, all of them are from every sector of the music business whether it be booking or it be managers or it be publishers. or I mean, I grew up in Nashville, and and that is the town. So it really kind of eases my nerves and everything to kind of be here, and it doesn't seem so so nerve-wracking at all. You know, it's just very normal, (laughs) (laughs) minus the stage and everything.
0: And and I've, I've mentioned, I've talked about this before, my first time I ever went to Nashville, I was walking down, uh, I believe it was down Broadway, uh, heading down to, uh, to one of the shows down on the riverfront. And I remember walking down and hearing this amazing guitarist and singer and going, man, I wonder who I'm going to run into. And it ended up just being a guy with his case open in an alley. Does that ever get disheartening in Nashville with all of the talent that's around it?
5: It does. It does. Funny you should say, I thought you were going to say you saw someone like uh, Keith Urban or something, because someone relayed a story to me recently where they said, hey, you remember that time you got up and played with Keith Urban? And I was like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I forgot about so much stuff. And they're like, yeah, we were at Jack's Guitar Bar, and he, he had heard you play and asked you to come up. This is when Keith Urban was with the ranch way back in the day when right when he had his three piece band and I and I went, Oh my god, that's right, I did get up and play with him. So that's Nashville in a nutshell. You forget how much great talent is everywhere, every corner. It could be like you said, a guy busking is just like this amazing guitar shredder. And uh you know, it really kinda sets the bar at a different level internally for you
0: and pete you can probably speak to this as well how nashville has evolved as well into not just the the home of country music it's uh it's kind of the, the country music city usa now i guess uh kind of the moniker right
5: totally totally Na- nashville like you said is not just country it's all music it's uh you know it's pop it's rock it's indie it's, i mean it's everything you can uh, consume it's got to offer, not to mention that it's the restaurant capitals now of, of the United States. And, and I mean it's it's a trip, you know Nashville has become uh, quite the the uh, the city, if you will.
0: now what uh, how has goal setting changed as a result of what happened to uh, to everyone last year Pete did uh, did that change the outlook on 2021, and maybe the way you pursue music even?
5: Yes, yeah, boy, that's a good question. Yes, it has. Definitely, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we all stopped. The world stopped for a while, and we got a chance to really get fear into us in a way we never knew, and then also grounding this because I got a chance to reconnect with my family and spend more time with them because I was forced to to stand still. So that being the case, you know, you really look at things, in a different perspective now where it's like this is what matters, this is what doesn't matter, this is what kinda matters, this is what really matters. (laughs) And you know, and with music, you know, and that's and herein comes the voice. I mean, dig this man. I mean that that they came and asked, you know, sent me a an email about auditioning right during the pandemic. Right when my mind was in that like what's next? What's gonna happen next? And I'm just living living right in front of me, man. Like, what's, what's in front of me? I'm going to do what is next. And and this is such a great opportunity. And who knows what's next? Let's see. I mean, I'm just as excited to see as as a lot of people are. Honestly, I I want to know what's going to happen.
0: Now, Pete, you talked about how we've had to change things up over the last year. What's the performance that you go back to in your mind as you're on The Voice that you're like, you know, I'm on The Voice now, but say six months ago I was playing... Here, where what, what was that place that you go back to in your mind?
5: Um, I play with a blues band called Super Honk and Nashville. It's a blues band that we play these shows in, in Bourbon Street, at Printer's Alley in Nashville. And we have a blast playing. And for the last six years, that's been kind of what I've done every month. That's my consumption of music, if you will. And I just think back to those performances that we had a hoot and connecting with people. It's so Uh, it's everyone's so on top of each other close. And that obviously has kind of went away a bit. Um, And now I'm thinking about, wow, here I am in this voice stage that is completely different. I mean, it couldn't be polar opposites. And it's really, it's really cool though, because I've got these like visceral memories of playing with this band and my, my blues brothers, you know, my guys and the people that were right on top of us. And that's what I tap into when I'm trying to sit, you know, when I'm singing songs. I, I just put myself back into that environment in my mind.
0: That's good stuff. Now, Pete, if folks want to keep up as uh, as you continue on the season, where's the best place to keep up social media wise with everything you got going?
5: Yeah, definitely on Facebook and Instagram. Those are kind of my two places that I really... I'm trying to post and reach out to people and stay connected. Obviously, YouTube, you know, they can check out stuff on YouTube. But I would say Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Check it out.
0: All right. Well, Pete, congratulations so far on this season. Best of luck as you continue on. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again real soon, brother.
5: Thanks, Cameron. Have a wonderful day, buddy.
0: Now there have definitely been points this year where we're looking for anything to break up the week and make one day feel better than another. And I really do mean anything. According to a new survey, 32% of people say that during the pandemic, doing laundry has been one of their highlights of the week. And here's the full top 10 list of the very ordinary things that have become weekly highlights. Number one, exercising, 47% say it's a highlight. Number two, taking a walk, 44%. Number three, grocery shopping, 44%. Number four, watching a favorite TV show, 42%. Number five, watching a movie, 35%. Number six, filling up the gas tank, 35%. Number seven, reading, 32%. Number eight, dueling the laundry, 32%. Number nine, making breakfast, 30%. And number 10, baking, 28%. Our final guest on the podcast today, a, uh, an author, best-selling author as well, Kara Ruda on with us today. Got a new book coming out on the first to talk about, The Next Wife. And actually, Kara, the cover, which is over my uh, left shoulder, has been sitting around on our dinner table for the last couple of weeks. And my wife is always like, why are you reading this book? I was like, I promise it's for an interview.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, a, I mean, it's a very, I love the cover. It's very gripping and it makes, it's just mysterious too. Yeah. So she's, yeah, she's probably wondering if it's romance, but it's not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now tell our our listeners about the inspiration behind the new book and how excited you are. I mean, uh, we're, we're on the the short term getting down to uh, release day as well.
6: Yeah, it's been an exciting time. I um, haven't had a book come out since the pandemic, really. So my last book came out in May of 2019. So it's, it's really exciting, although it's going to feel different, of course, because all the events are virtual. But it's still really exciting to be back out there with a new, a new story to talk about. And the next wife is like my other books in domestic suspense. So it's um, kind of unreliable narrators and hopefully some twists and turns that you won't expect. Do you want me to tell you a little bit about the story? Yeah, you got to. Yeah. Well, the problem is with domestic suspense, you can't say that much without giving it away, but the setup is uh, John and Kate Nelson had a beautiful life, one daughter and um, a, Thriving business, just a booming business. And so they've been working together, raising a child together. And then all of a sudden, John falls in love with his executive assistant, oh. um, Tish. So when you meet them at the beginning of the story, uh, they're all celebrating, in some degree or other, the IPO of Eventco, their company. And Tish is now the, the next wife. And Kate is, of course, the first wife. And she's there because this is her company, too. And Ashley, the daughter, is there. So that's kind of the setup. And hopefully I wanted to kind of start with that and then maybe flip things around a little
0: bit. Now, how you start things off with just the the average normal and uh, then you start digging a little bit. And where does the inspiration to do that digging and tearing people apart come from?
6: Well, I wouldn't say tearing people apart. I, I would say maybe revealing their true nature, because you know, people, we, you know, like people can hide who they are, right? And so we have a lot of people that we encounter in the world that are maybe not what they seem to be. So that's kind of where my books start. Like how, how, like how could I be friends with somebody, be in love with somebody, and then they're actually this person that I don't realize who they are? So a lot of my um, narrators and first-person characters will reveal themselves slowly to the reader, even so than they do to the person that they're supposedly in love with
0: now where did you first fall in love with writing and was it was there a teacher that maybe uh inspired the love of uh, of writing and reading in you at, at a younger age
6: definitely i um oh i'm a daughter of a professor so books were always very much part of our our lives but i remember in third grade the teacher gave the assignment to write to a person who you want to become when you grow up. So I wrote to Robert McCloskey of Make Make Way for Ducklings and um, Blueberries for Cell and all those great books. And he wrote back and said, um, thanks for the letter, but I'm an illustrator, not an author. You should research better next time. <laughs> so that's kind of indicative of the publishing process. I think, you know, it's a lot of ups and downs. And, but, and then I did have a really formative librarian, Mrs. Gardier, in elementary school, who my first little book, she laminated and put on the shelf. And it was just, yeah, I was. So that's what
0: I wanted to do. That's cool. Now, when did you actually sit down and actually write for the first time? When was your first uh, writing experiment, if you will?
6: Well, it was funny because my—I um, I, never—I I was a journalist and, and an English major in college, but. I, my first published work was a nonfiction book for women entrepreneurs. And that was based on my experience running a company with my husband, It's a little similar to the next wife, (laughs) and not all the way similar. And so I, I, you know, I'm going around the country speaking about putting your passions into action and living the life of your dreams and how your personal brand should be walking around the world. And I realized, I mean, I'd I'd always wanted to sit down and do it, but, and we sold our company and I realized, well, I'm telling all these women to do this this and you've always wanted to write a novel, so sit down and do it. So that's what I finally did about 10 years ago.
0: What does it look like a finished product now as opposed to the to the first one that you wrote?
6: Yeah, well, you know, I'm learning to outline. it has <laughs> <This laughs> been like, this is my number one lesson of the pandemic year because during the pandemic, I was able to write a lot, which I guess some writers couldn't. And some people, like, I couldn't read anything. I was just binging um, streaming stuff. Because I, I don't know. I couldn't concentrate, but I could write a lot. But my agents were like, all right, you got to slow down and tell us where you're going. So I, I, I'm embracing the power of outline. So all of my previous books, including The Next Wife, we're not written with an outline. They were just uh, just kind of, they call it pantsing, just writing by the seat of your pants. And now I'm embracing the power of the outline. So that's what I've learned.
0: What's What's the hardest part of embracing that?
6: Uh, my characters really don't want to be told what to do <laughs> at all. They're like, oh no, this is going to take our spunk out. I'm like, no, they promise it won't. You know. So when I say I'm outlining, I mean, some people have these huge long outlines that look like half of a book. When I'm just gotten to like, bullet points <laughs> so i'm trying not to i'm trying to straddle the line between fancying and
0: outlining <laughs> now when you get feedback from your previous books and uh, to know that there's folks out there that are eagerly awaiting then the next wife i mean what does that mean to you on a personal side not so much on the on the professional side <laughs>
6: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than getting a great review from a friend or a, a person you don't know or a Bookstagram or anything out there. I mean, there's tons of people who... Um don't like what you do, which is fine too. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, um, where you kind of get the thick skin after doing this for a while, you try not to look at all the bad reviews and focus on the positive. So, I mean, the, the, I guess the the best is getting like a handwritten letter from people or even a, a long email from someone who the book has touched them in some way that I didn't intend or I didn't even expect. In Best Day Ever, I have a really bad guy who's a first-person narrator all the way through, which people don't like being in the head of a bad guy, I understand, so they shouldn't read that. <laughs> but the um, best response has been from people sending me letters saying that their best day about their best day ever, which was getting away from their um, not-so-great spouse or, or boyfriend or whatever. So anyway, there's there's a lot of good that can be had in the world through fiction and hopefully my domestic suspense even though it's going to be dark sometimes can kind of help with that as well
0: now has the has the writing continued to get darker over the last year or or has it by necessity you've been like we got to put a little light out there has it gotten darker though
6: no, it just got darker and I didn't even <laughs> need for it to get darker and like I'm like what my agents, like a couple of the manuscripts, they're like, Holy cow, you cannot go that dark. That is not your brand. Like, I couldn't I even scared myself a couple of times like during the pandemic, I'd be up here in my office writing, and then I'm like, Oh, you just did that, and yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, I'll try to revise them and not be so dark.
0: But that's funny. Now, how long is the process from idea to completion for you now? Oh.
6: Yeah, I I once heard my friend told me the answer should be a lifetime because you do use all of your experiences and all that goes into it. But you know, it just it's different from every manuscript that you do. Like sometimes you're just on this roll and it flows really easily and it can be, you know. A matter like six months and then other manuscripts are like chugging away at it. And, you know, the characters aren't so clear and maybe that's when you need an outline. <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, it's a long process and between getting the writing down and all the different drafts and then working with your editor and hopefully selling it to a publisher, all of that takes a long time. And then it's finally out in the world, in a, few, a couple weeks or in my case i was really lucky i got an amazon first reads pick so it's been out for prime um members for the month of april so far and it's you know it's it's great i mean like i said i try not to look at the one star and two star reviews but everybody seems to be liking it
0: now for you to get the the early feedback and and a, a normal release obviously you'd have uh, more in-person things how how do you yeah. gear up how do you gear up emotionally for this this release
6: yeah, it is really different. I I was just I live in Laguna Beach and I was just downtown or not downtown but down in the <laughs> village uh, last night for dinner. It's so nice to finally be able to walk around again. I'll with Mass and so I, I was going to drop in the bookstore and of course it's not open because it's limited hours and everything. But we're having a release party on May seventh. It's going to be through Zoom, of course. But I was just standing there like looking in the window, like I can't wait till we're <laughs> back <laughs> in person. But I mean they're they've been so. so supportive so we're gonna we're gonna do the same thing and we just, just through zoom and it'll be fun although not the same yeah
0: now how do you change goal setting this is something i've been asking folks a lot since we kind of lost 2020 how does your goal change goal setting or maybe uh your writing schedule change
6: uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's odd because we're in this kind of between land right now, I feel like. So we're in between feeling, I mean, it will never go back to normal, I suppose. But I think we're in this phase where we're like, hopefully, optimistically going to be back to something like normal. So I think to me, I'm trying to get a little more balanced in the writing schedule, because I, I really did use that as an outlet. I was either writing or gardening and then writing again and gardening and then binge watching something. So I'm trying to get, you know, a little more well-rounded about things going to a grocery store again, you know, doing those kind of things that are normal and, and feel more normal. Cause I, I think the thing that I've also learned through the years is that the muse is fragile. So you need to like nourish it with other things besides like making yourself have some kind of rigid expectation of your
0: production the next wife, tell our, our listeners where they can find more information about it. And if they're Amazon Prime members, they, they already have access to it.
6: Yeah, if, they, if you're Amazon Prime, you can download the Kindle for free if you haven't already picked your book of the month, which would be great. So, um, And also then once it's on May 1st, a bookstore near you, and hopefully you will give it a shot.
0: There you go. Well, Kara Ruda, I would double making doubly sure that I make uh, the pronunciations correct today. You got it. You got it. Well, yeah. it has been it's been great to visit with you. Obviously, couldn't tell us too much about the book, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to spending <laughs> some time with it.
6: Oh, I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great.
0: Thanks again for joining us for this 64th episode in season two of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, anything else you'd like to know, hit me up on the contact page at gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at gqwithcam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, visit our merch store. We've got hoodies, mugs, tumblers, shirts, stickers, and more. It's gqwithcam.com forward slash shop. If you have a special guest idea email me gqwithcam at gmail.com. Again, thanks to our good friend Brandon Allen for coming up with our theme music. We're going to let him play us out. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Monday.